0: I am going to make a case today that many in the church, some in this church, are using Jesus Christ. What do I mean? They are using Jesus as a means to an end rather than pursuing Him as the end of all pursuits. I will go further. If you are using Jesus as a means to an end, you yourself are ultimately the end you are pursuing. And a question I have as that possibility occurred to me this week is this Will Jesus be used? Now, I believe that there are many wonderful and even worthwhile things to pursue in our lives. But I have come to believe that many are using Jesus to achieve or reach those good things. So again, I am suggesting many are using Jesus rather than pursuing Jesus as the ultimate goal, the ultimate pursuit, the ultimate treasure. Consider. From a negative perspective, it is a good thing to seek to rid ourselves of destructive, sinful lifestyle habits and choices. So, for example, it would be a good thing to rid ourselves of anger or pride. And to be honest, anger and pride typically ruin relationships. Right, men? But if you choose Jesus to help rid yourself of explosive anger or arrogant pride, if that is your goal, to be a better you, then you are using Jesus to seek a good end, but ultimately an end which serves you. My Freedom Farm brothers and I talked about this this week. Many of the guys who come to this ministry have been through other programs before, secular, um, state, community-run programs, 12-step programs, uh, prison, things like that. And in many cases, those programs do not work. The relapse rate is very high. So I suggested to them that if they came to Freedom Farm to beat addiction, if this was their goal, to say no to drugs and alcohol, then they were in fact using Jesus. You see, if they came with that end in mind, then the goal is the same as in the secular programs that they already came through, right? We, we tried that path, it didn't work. So let's try another. The goal's still the same. It's sobriety uh, to, to defeat addiction. But since the secular program didn't work, I'll switch the path. I'll try a spiritual program, a different means, but I'm still pursuing the same end, and that is to be clean. My premise to them was this. If the goal is sobriety and you are using a Christian faith-based program to get there, then you are using Jesus. He just happens to be the means that you have now tethered yourself to. The author of Hebrews says it this way, therefore, since we have So great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance. That's that's the that's not necessarily bad things. Those are all moral things, and the sin that so easily entangles. So those are good things to do. Get rid of anything that distracts and sin that detracts, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here we are. We're running a race. We're running a course, but the goal, the finish line, is not getting rid of sin. Proof? The author goes on. Run with endurance your race, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. You see, Jesus is not the means to the end of getting rid of sin, getting Rid of sin is part of the journey as we run toward the end, the goal, which is Jesus. So there are some worthwhile negative goals. But they are not the end. Consider some positive goals. Let's start with some easy ones since this is what everybody wants to talk about today, health and wealth. Choose Jesus and He will make you wealthy. Now, they, that's what some teach. That it, doesn't, it doesn't sound that way. They make it a little bit more spiritual, wrap it up in a pretty spiritual bow. But if you strip it all away, that, that's, what, that's what is taught. Follow Jesus and he will make you rich. So here's the question. Are you pursuing Jesus or are you pursuing wealth? So that just sounds crass. Jesus then becomes the means to an end. What about health? I want to be healthy. So I choose Jesus. Since the doctors don't seem to be working, I'll choose Jesus to be healthy. I have the same goal. Is it Jesus or is it health? Okay, maybe most of us don't struggle with those on biblical excesses. so let's consider something a little bit more closely to where we live. Do you want a happy marriage? (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, like a, a happy family? Yeah, is that why you read all of those marriage books and go to the marriage and family therapist or spend your time with your pastor or why you attend all of those marriage retreats? Because that's your goal? Are you using Jesus and even principles of Christianity to get what you want to make you a better husband, a better wife, a better husband? Father, a better mother, so you can have a happy home. If that is the goal, then Jesus is not the end, but the means to an end. You are using him. Will Jesus be used? I can make this very personal for me. My wife has graciously kept this before me for Years, she said to me, "What's your goal, Scott? Is a big, healthy church Is that it? Is it teaching the Bible and getting through the New Testament? Is that it? Is that your goal? Is your goal your ministry, Scott?" And it's not Jesus. First time she ever said that to me. I. Oh, so mad (laughs) and she was so right because you see if we are not careful we can substitute good things even spiritual sounding things like ministry for Jesus and before you know it we're running a race headed in an entirely wrong direction we are headed toward less than excellent goals We are fixing our eyes not on Jesus, but on what Jesus can give me. We then, not Jesus, we become the goal that we pursue. Now, let me be clear. If you tuned out, you're only planning on listening to part of what I say this morning. I need you to tune back in just for a minute because I don't want anyone leaving here today saying that Scott Andrews of Alliance Bible Fellowship said that pursuing a good marriage or a happy home or getting rid of sin is not a good thing. I did not say that. I am going to say that pursuing Jesus as the ultimate treasure of life and eternity is the best thing and it is the best way to achieve those other things. But we must be very careful. We must not pursue Jesus so that... Let me say it again. If you are pursuing anything other than Jesus as the ultimate treasure, if you are a Christian because you think Jesus will help you get what you want, you are using Jesus and you have become the goal and Jesus will not be used. So how how do we do that? How do we pursue Jesus and keep Him before our eyes as the focal point of our existence? How do I keep Him as the treasure of my heart? Paul tells us in our text today as we return to our study of Colossians. We remember, you turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we remember He was battling false teacher's Colossae. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at some of the things that these guys were teaching. And frankly, it had some wrong goals. They, they, they had some wrong pursuits. It sounded spiritual. If you want to be really spiritual like us, then follow our teaching. Teaching which included things like abstaining from certain foods. That'll make you look good. And observing certain days. Can't do that. It's Sunday. Uh, delighting in self-abasement—that's false humility. Worshiping angels. This was the big one. And seeking visionary experience—that sounds like today. Following ascetic practices. Don't handle. Don't take, Don't even. Don't even touch. And following our self-made religion of self-abasement and a harsh treatment of the body. It'll look really, really good. People will think you're super <laughs> spiritual, and they will applaud. And so Paul asked the question last time, if if you have died with Christ, and and they had at at baptism, uh, they were buried with Him, they died with Him to the elemental or elementary principles and spirits behind, a spirit world behind those principles of the world, why, please tell me why, as if you were living in the world, what? Wait wait a minute, I, I thought we were living in the world. Not exactly. You're dead to the world now, and you are alive to Christ. So Paul is simply asking, why are you living to, why are you pursuing the things of this world that should be dead to you? If you died with Christ, why are you alive to the w- world and what it has to offer? Then in our text today, Colossians 3, he continues this thought. Unfortunate chapter division, but he continues the thought. These false teachers were trying to divert their attention from the goal, and that goal is Jesus. They said there's something better than Jesus. And he said, if you died with Jesus, why are you alive to the things of this world and... Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, comma, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him. Glory. I'm going to make... The case that if you are pursuing, that if you are pursuing the things of Christ, with Christ as the goal, you will get some of the things that you are pursuing, but some of the things that you want, all of the things that you want will fade as you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm going to make the case that if you pursue Christ, you will will get what you need and even some of your wants. Paul transitions from his specific focus on the false teachers, although they're still kind of in the back of his mind. They're still kind of there to remind the believers at Colossae what's happened to them. And, And he calls them to a different way of thinking, to a different focus, to a different goal. And these four verses... Uh, transition us to the next major section of the letter. Since you have died with Christ, and, and since you are dead to the world, and since you have been raised up with Christ and are now living. In Christ, there are some things that you should do. Verses 1 to 4, set your mind on things above. You are believers now, followers of Christ, the things of earth, to include this false teaching and these false promises where they would divert your attention away from Christ. They they, they carry no attraction for you now. Why are you pursuing? Why are you why are you pursuing angels and why are you pursuing Visionary experiences. Why are you traveling to California when you have Christ Himself? Verses five to eleven, with Christ as the focus, you need to consider yourself dead to sin because you are. Verses twelve to fourteen, and with Christ now as the fo- focus, you need to have you need to have, put on the heart of Christ. Verses 15 to 17, with Christ as the focus, you need to now live, live, not just Sunday mornings, but you need to live a life of worship. Verses 18 to 21, with Christ as your goal, now you got your your focus in the right place. It is going to affect your marriage, it's going to affect your family. And, And then beyond that, verse 22 and beyond, with Christ as your goal, it's going to affect your work, it's going to affect the way you work. You're going to be a different kind of worker. And then, beginning at chapter four, Christ is your goal. It's going to affect. It's going to affect everything. It's going to affect how you live. It's going to affect how you pray. It's even going to affect how you talk. This is unbelievably rich. I am suggesting today that the answer to all of life's challenges is to be found in pursuing Jesus. In fact, I've decided. You come to see me. I. Occasionally see people who are struggling in some area, struggling with my marriage. I want to come talk to you and you need to fix my marriage. Here's my question. I'm gonna ask first question I'm gonna ask you: Are you pursuing Jesus? No, you don't understand. It's my wife, she's a, she's the problem. No, no, you don't understand. It all starts with remembering what Christ has done for us and who we are in Him. He died and was raised to life. And we were buried with him in baptism, in his death. And we were raised to live a new life. Therefore, set your minds on things above. I need you to zero in, Paul is saying, to the right goal. Make sure that you have the right end in mind. And I'm just about to preach the message, but let's take a few minutes to look at what Paul tells us to do. And then why. It actually forms our outline, what to seek and why we seek it. Um, Paul starts with, if you have been raised up with Christ, and that's in a very specific condition in, in the Greek, uh, which, which means you have, if you have been raised up and it is true, you could translate it, since you have been raised, but then you'd miss the rhetorical power. If you have been raised up with Christ, makes you stop and think, well, yeah, I, I have been raised up with Christ. Then, then keep seeking the things above. Present tense, keep on seeking, don't ever stop seeking the things above where Christ is. Now, I suppose we should ask the question what are those things where Christ is? You say, Oh, I know that one, that one's easy. I got a mansion just over the hilltop, and that bright land where we'll never grow old, and someday yonder we'll never more wander, but walk on streets as pure as gold. So I'm going to focus on the sweet. By and by, and on my mansion, and streets of gold, and seeing loved ones, in the celestial city, and the crystal sea, and the tree bearing fruit all year round, and the tree of life, and, and never, ever growing old, and getting whatever else I can get. No! Now, all of a sudden, it seems like we just made me the goal again. Is that the focus of, of heaven? <laughs> get, getting there and getting stuff? The things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, directs our thoughts to Christ and his sovereign rule. How he has finished his work and has been highly exalted, received the name that is above every name, and sat down. You see, in the Jewish mind, when Paul was writing this Jewish mind, there was only one person sitting in heaven, and that was God. And, everyone, and all, everyone else, all other beings are surrounding him as angels, servants, waiting to, to do his bidding. Yeah. You see, to be, for Jesus to be seated at God's right hand is a place of ultimate honor and glory and power. It reminds us of his rule and reign over all things for our good and his great glory. Where Christ is speaks of the things of Christ. And nothing wrong with the promises that Scripture makes to us, okay? So there's nothing wrong with streets of gold and mansions, although it's probably a room, and a beautiful city with magnificent walls and giant gates and no tears and no hunger and no pain and no death and no sin and no sorrow and no no sun because the glory of God uh, will be its light, uh, be the light of the city. But the focus is on the things of Christ. Paul even makes it clearer in verse 2. Set your mind, set your affections on things above. Set your affections and not on the things that are on the earth. Okay, so simple question. Where do I spend, if I'm alone, where do I spend most of my contemplations and concentration? On the things of this earth? Nothing wrong with the moral things of earth, but they are not to capture my heart. If they do, remember Hebrews said I'm supposed to throw those things off that might entangle me because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and so it's okay to to like the gifts that God gives us and to even thank Him for them. You know, food and clothing and shelter and houses and bicycles and condos and vacations and 401Ks and marriages and spouses and families and relationships and jobs and and all that stuff that clutters our lives. But we love the giver more than His gifts. He is the treasure. All of His gifts point to Him. been said that there are two ways that you can hold on to the stuff of this life. You can hold on with clenched fist, gripping them tightly because they are everything to you, or with open hand, recognizing all things are His, and He can have them back if He wants them. Because we want Him more than anything. He is the goal. He is the end. In fact, He is life. That's what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. This is why We keep seeking. This is why we set our affections on things above because He is our life to me to live is Christ. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. To keep your eyes... To so keep your eyes focused in the right place today, in the present. It's what we have. We have today. Paul gives us a past and a future look. Verse 3 is the past. For you have died. Speaks of an event in the past when you were buried with Christ at your salvation. This happened when you were born again, when you were saved, and the Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. And all of that was symbolized in your water baptism. And now, because you have died, you are dead to the things of this earth. Dead to you. They don't matter. And as a result, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's several thoughts about that. Hidden with Christ in God. Paul, you typically use the word hidden to speak of the mystery of Christ and his gospel That was hidden and has now been revealed. In other words, to be hidden speaks of that which is true, but is as of yet unseen. So here he says, Our lives are hidden with Christ. That's true, but it's not yet seen. It's not readily apparent to all. You cannot tell by looking at me, but my life is hidden with Christ. It's true. In reality, I am with Christ right now. There's a spiritual component to my existence. You see, in Ephesians, that Paul, President Epistle wrote about the same time, he wrote in chapter one of that. I pray that the eye, I want you to understand something. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to know what is the hope of his calling, and I want you to know what you got. I want you to know the riches of the of uh, the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us, with this working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ. Similar language when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, so He's He's He is in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places where he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Remember we looked at that, those are designations of angels. That's significant. He's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Okay, not teaching the whole passage, but notice. Paul wants us to have enlightened eyes so that we would understand the riches of our inheritance in Christ. Why would you look away from that that you have to the stuff of this earth? Why would you do that? This inheritance was brought about in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead, placed him at his right hand, similar language, at his right hand, Jesus has all authority, power, dominion over the entire universe to include those angelic beings he's. He's above that, and so these false teachers and teachers today and people wanting to sell you everything they got, saying, "Why don't you take your eyes off of that to look at this? Why would you do that?" Chapter two of Ephesians, Paul goes on. Okay, Christ is seated at the right hand in the heavenlies. chapter two. Even when we were dead in transgressions, we were dead. God. Made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. That that sounds familiar. I heard this before. And, And seated us with him in the heavenlies or in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are right now seated with Christ in heavenly places so that in the ages to come, there's something coming, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So right now, There is a spiritual sense in which we are seated with Christ in heaven. Doesn't look like it. Looks like I'm in Boone, North Carolina. Right. It's hidden. It's not visible to all. But know this. Right now, we are hidden with Christ in God. And that itself is unusual language. Paul talks all over the place about us being in Christ Very seldom does he talk about us being in God. But then he puts that all together and says, we are with Christ in God. What does that mean? Well, I want you to add to that just to kind of blow your top, that we are the Holy Spirit is in us. He indwells us and he fills us. So we got the entire trinity involved in our salvation and our security and our hope. That's the point. So much so that Paul can speak confidently of the future in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, He's everything because our lives are hidden with Him. When Christ is revealed, stop right there. When Christ is revealed implies that Christ is currently hidden. It's kind of true. When will Christ be revealed? When He comes back. But right now, He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. a sense of which he's hidden. Don't let that bother you. He's still ruling. He's still reigning. He's still sovereign until every enemy is ultimately destroyed and becomes his footstool. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But right now, hidden. And that was um, true when he came to earth the first time. He wrapped himself, remember, hidden in human flesh so the reality of his deity was not clearly seen. In fact, his glory was veiled even though he proved he was who he said he was by doing lots of really Messiah-like, God-like things. But he did those things, and they didn't believe him. The religious people arrested him. We, we, we know this. They, they, they tried him. He's, he, as they were interrogating him, he's, he's standing silent before the Sanhedrin. They got fed up with that. And the high priest says, would you tell us plainly? It seems hidden to us. Are you the Christ or not? And then we read these words in Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. That's where I'm headed. I'm going to sit down at God's right hand and then I'm going to come back in the clouds of heaven. And at that point, at that point, the, the, the... the high priest tore his robes. So what further blasphemy do we need? Let's kill him. Why? Because he says, I'm coming back and you will see it. This coming in the clouds of heaven is a reference to Daniel 7. It's a clear declaration of deity. I am the son of man. I am the son of God. The ancient of days, my father has given me power and authority. But right now, Christ is hidden. But not forever. When Christ is revealed when he comes back he will be revealed and what glorious splendor that will be look at revelation 19 and i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse And he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war and his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. This is the God, this is the Christ that you worship. Why would you take your eyes off of that vision and substitute it for another? In fact, the verse... In, in verse number 10, which comes right before verse 11, funny how that works. Um, right in verse number 10, there's an angel who is acting as a tour guide uh, of John in heaven. And John becomes so overwhelmed by what he sees that he falls down at the f- feet of the angels. And the angel says, What are you doing? I'm a servant just like you. Don't worship me, worship God. Why, why, why would you take your eyes off Christ and even look toward an angelic being or visionary experiences? And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and we read earlier, that's us, we're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with his mouth, with it, he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads. The winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on His robe and on His thigh is the name written King of kings and Lord of lords. Why would you leave that vision? First time He came hidden in human flesh as Savior. Right now, He continues to be hidden at the Father's right hand, and we are hidden in Him. But when He comes back, make no mistake about it, every eye will see Him. He will be revealed in great glory, and the armies of heaven will come. This is conquering language. He came first time as Savior. The next time when He is revealed from heaven and we with Him, He will come as King and conqueror and judge, revealed in great glory. In Philippians 3, also, a prison epistle, Paul says, "...for our citizenship is in heaven." We don't belong here. We just live here. We're just. We we don't belong here. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory. That is a future event when we will appear with Him in glory, no longer. Will our true identity as sons and daughters of the living God be hidden? If all of this is true, and Paul says that it is, we are to live like it. To live seeking the things above, longing for the things above, where our treasure truly is. Live with our minds, live with our affections focused on Christ, who is our life. He is not the means to an end. He is the goal. He is the end. He is the pursuit of all pursuits. Everything else, good as it may be, is a means to the end, which is Christ himself. Let's stand for prayer. father in the affluence of our society and in the uh, ease with which we can hear the things of of Christ and the false teaching that in many cases comes with that it is very easy It is very easy for us to get distracted. It's very easy for us to focus on affluence, influence. Very easy for us to focus on good things. Very easy for us to be deterred by false teaching. So much of it out there. My prayer for us as a body of believers, is that we would remain firmly committed to Jesus Christ, His gospel, and His word, and that You would transform us as we eagerly await a Savior to be revealed from heaven who will transform these humble bodies to be like His glorious body, We will be like him because we will see him as he is. Help us to stay focused on things above. In Christ's name, amen.